0: Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is a section of scripture that gets to our motivation for giving. Intentions and motivations are often the most difficult thing because isn't it true that we can be doing the right thing on the outside and then the Lord checks our hearts and we see that even though we're doing the right thing on the outside inside, it's, it's not good. And the Lord sees right into us. He observes our motives. He knows us even better than we know ourselves. So your intentions, the reason you do things, the reason you do the good works, the so-called good works that you offer the Lord, it's very important. It's, it's the core of who we are before God. So this section is, is warning us about grudging and giving. So this is grudging and giving part one. If the Lord tarries, we'll do part two on Sunday. Let's look at chapter nine, verse one. It says, now concerning ministering to the saints. So he is saying, now we're talking about the offering that you are to send to the saints in Jerusalem. It is superfluous for me to write to you, which means you already know, and you've already committed to do this. I don't need to re-explain it all over again. They're in need, and you should give to their need. For I know your willingness, about which I boast of You to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and that your zeal has stirred up the majority. So, I'll ask you and myself a series of questions as we go through this chapter. And first of all, is your zealous generosity stirring up others? Look at what the Apostle writes here to the Corinthians. He says, You were zealous, you were fervent, you were ardent about giving to the needs of the saints and that stirred up others. It stirred up other churches. It stirred up the majority to do the same thing. He points out to them that they were used, their willingness to give was used in other places. They said, if they're giving, we ought to give also. They were initially prompted by the Corinthians' commitment to give to the saints in Jerusalem. Here it says that Paul told others that they were going to give, the Corinthians were going to give, and that made them step up and be obedient. This is a reminder that the church, our job is to remind each other. Our job is to stir each other up. Our job is to encourage one another. You've heard the saying, you know it's in the word, that iron sharpens iron. And it doesn't just sharpen it one way. Isn't that true? That sometimes you're sharpening and sometimes you're being sharpened. And that's what we see in action right here in regards to giving. One church sharpening another, it working both ways, challenging one another to be obedient. Let's be a church that is known as being willing. If God wants to use that to prompt others, to him be the glory. Is your zealous generosity stirring up others? Or have we become, well, they're pretty lackluster, they're pretty mediocre, so maybe I should be too. When you see mediocrity, when you see the lukewarm nature of the church, it can do one of two things to you. It can either make you say, yeah, that sounds perfect. I'll just settle into my comfortable, cozy zone and be just like them. Or it can give you the perspective of God and say, that in-between stuff where I'm not zealous, where I'm not pouring out my life and my heart and even my money for the kingdom of God, it's sickening to God, so I want it to be sickening to me. Verse 3. Yet I have sent the brethren lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect. That is, as I said, you may be ready, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident thing. He said, what if I bring with me some of those who were spurred on by your generosity and they find out that you're just not even very giving at all? He's pretty heavy-handed here. He says, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. And I would be ashamed of you too, he says, does he? Like, I've boasted of your generosity. And now if some of those who have heard of it come and you're not all that you were cracked up to be, think of how that's going to look. Examine yourself. You committed to give? Give. And he's going to say, give willingly, give cheerfully. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity, not as a grudging obligation. So another question, is your giving steady or fluctuating? Is your giving monetarily, financially, to the endeavor of the ministry, to the body of Christ, is that something that ebbs and flows, or is it something that is steady? You know when somebody really, really wants to be fit, I used to say be in shape, but now there's this theory out there that there's all kinds of shapes that are fit. So say somebody just that wants to get healthy, let's put it that way, and sometimes they'll commit to running a 5k or half marathon or even a whole marathon, and they know it's going to come in a matter of months. Why do they do that? Why do they commit to that day when they know they're going to have this race? It's because they, we're talking about other people, not us, of course, realize that it will change their day-to-day behavior. And in order to be ready for that day, day when I'm going to be held accountable and I'm going to be committed, I don't want to be dogging it. I don't want to be able to not finish the race. I don't want to be signing up for the marathon only to figure out that I can't finish it or or I've gotten slower than I was before. Paul's doing this in the financial and the giving sense, isn't he? He's saying, we're going to come to you and we're giving you advance warning that you, you've got to save up for that. You've got to be ready for that. Can you imagine having a financial goal? You probably can, and maybe that goal is to pay off debt. That's a good goal. Maybe that goal is to save up money. But this goal would be to save money to give. That's what he's saying. Do it on a steady basis, not a fluctuating basis, so that when I come that that money can already be there it's not like you're running around frantically trying to get it together so that you can meet the commitment that you made giving is to be consistent it's a part of our worship it's not supposed to be something that's wavering it's to be a matter of discipline not something that we where we sprint and stop sprint and stop it's supposed to be a lifestyle not an exception the steadiness but now look at what it works. We already read the end of verse 5. Now that it may be ready as a matter of generosity, not as a grudging obligation. Third question, are you giving out of grudging obligation? You see, when you're steady about generosity, your heart changes. If you're sporadic about giving to the needs of the church, then it will tend to be a grudging obligation let's go back to the fitness analogy when you're disciplined to exercise often you stop dreading it as much correct i'm not saying you never dread it but when you exercise consistently you don't dread it as much but what if you exercise sporadically a few of you know what i'm talking about you dread it Because you're out of the routine, you're out of the rhythm, it's almost like torture to you. You're like, I work out just enough to make me hate it every time I do it again. Instead of being, and you're so terribly sore all over again. Some of you are not identifying with me. You're like, man, why did I do that? If I would work out five or six days a week, I'd be a little sore and I would be thirsty for more. But now that I'm just working out a a day or two, it's just enough to make me grudging about my giving. So it is so with any of our obedience, any of our service, including generosity. If it's not steady, many times it will be just a constant complaint. It'll be grudging. But God uses good routines to change our hearts. This is getting to the motive of, of why we give, because God knows we have a heart problem. Some would say, well, I won't give then, Because if I give, I'll have a bad attitude. I'll be a grudging giver. Are you that kind of excuse maker with the Bible? Perfect. Don't give out of grudging obligation. That's me. Shouldn't give then. No, instead, grudging heart is not to be a reason to not give, but instead, give obediently and steadily and watch God change your heart. Watch him make you generous. You see, we think backwards. We think, I don't have the heart to do it, so I won't instead of, I will do it because it's right, and God will give me the heart to do it. We're told all the time by the world, follow your heart. And we're told by the word of God that the heart is wayward, that it's fickle, that it's turbulent, and who can even know the heart? I, the Lord, search the heart. So we need to rearrange our thinking, think biblically and say, If I know it to be good according to the Lord, if I know it to be right, then I should make it a matter of discipline, and then the Lord changes my desires. He feeds the new man, the new self is being fed, and then I've got a new desire. The scriptures say this in Psalm 37, four. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. At first, I only used to hear the desires of your heart. Ooh, I want those, but delight yourself in the Lord. Make God and His will and His ways your target. Make Him your delight, and He will fulfill the desires of your heart. But your heart won't be the same heart you have today. It'll be a renewed heart that desires to give willingly, cheerfully, even as we'll learn later in the chapter, and not out of a grudging heart of, of compulsion. Don't let your heart drive your giving. If you do, You'll be a sporadic giver, right? You'll be a, a person who sporadically serves. I consider this in, in my life as I was really, really young. I, I was, I say really, really, I was 13 years old. Our church, the worship leader left, different church. My, my dad wasn't the pastor, or anything like that. It was like, all of a sudden, they're like, Eddie, you're all we got, right? And I'm like, I'm all you got, right? It's, it's bad. I, I, my voice was changing, you know? It was, it was bad. I could sort of play the piano, right? And I look back at that time, especially after my parents were in the ministry, it was like the discipline of being there and leading worship all the time. People would say, well, whoa, that's not good because what if your heart wasn't in it? Well, to do it that much, your, your heart kind of has to be there, right? The Lord brings your heart around to be a willing giver, in regards to giving financially, in regard to serving, whatever it is. I've seen this principle just in my own life. It's not true because of that. It's true because the Lord says it's true. When I'm steady about serving with my gifts, with my time, with my, my, honey, my money, my heart is drastically different. It's transformed. It, it really is supernatural. And when I'm sporadic about serving, and, and my heart is, is kind of all over the place, I told my son this today. I said, "Like, I'm kind of scared to stop teaching the Bible. I don't know what would happen to me. Like, I, I'd probably go off the deep end. And I mean it with all my heart. My wife smiles because she knows it's true. She goes, I don't want you to stop teaching the Bible either because I have to study. I can't get up here and just fake it. You would know within three minutes. So I have to come back and do what God has called me to do. And then it makes, the Lord changes my heart on the inside. That's what he does with our willingness to give. Just make it a matter of discipline. Lord, you've said it. Are you giving out of grudging obligation? If so, be steady. Watch the Lord do a new work in you. Now, in considering the last chapter, chapter 8, and the beginning of 9, there's a couple more questions that, that I want to clarify. And this would be the fourth of our questions. How will we identify needs So are you giving out of grudging obligation? But then how are we going to identify needs? You know the famous Berkeley Davis bumper sticker, practice random acts of kindness. Don't you know that one? You drive around down there, it's like, oh, we're just floating around like a fairy, just seeing what we should do. I don't want to be misunderstood. There are times when God will put a need like right in front of you and he'll speak to your heart by his Spirit, and you know that you're supposed to meet the need. You know that you're supposed to give. He puts it right there for you. It's not random. It's led by the Spirit. You have the means, and even if you don't, you can give beyond, beyond your ability, and you know this is an opportunity for me to glorify God with what I've got. Do you know what I'm talking about? I am not down-talking that kind of giving, being open to the Spirit, being flexible, being willing, having God open up your eyes to to see what is right next to you, who is right next to you, so you can give to that. Those opportunities are good and they're right. But I want you to see the pattern that's set forward in the scriptures here about identifying needs in chapter 8 and chapter 9. How was the need identified? The need of the saints in Jerusalem, because of their famine, because it evaluated. Well, Paul and Timothy did so, did they not? They said, "We have a need. The elders of the church, the pastors of the church, the churches. Men like Titus said, "There is a need. God put overseers in the body of Christ to identify, partially, to identify legitimate needs." And we have right in the scriptures this design. Qualified leadership in the pastoral epistles, their name means, you can call it bishop, you can call it elder, you can call it overseer. And so many times a need is, need is identified, that consistent giving through the body of Christ. And the church is mobilized to fill that need. So when we want to just identify on our own all the time, that's a misapplication. Looking at the pattern here, The elders, the pastors, they know the situation. They have this defined character. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in that office, this defined service. So although many might think that they're just as good as identifying needs within the body of Christ, that's not true. Now, I'm not not saying you shouldn't individually meet needs. I'm saying many times this is part of what overseers do. And this chapter and the previous one is in the context of the design of the body of Christ. Now, why doesn't this often work very well? Because we're non-traditional Christians. If I asked you, are are you a traditional Christian or are you untraditional? You'd say, oh, I'm I'm like a non-traditional type. Therefore, there's this backlash against man-made hierarchy in the church. We don't like this structure and we just say, forget it. All that structure stuff has been abused throughout church history, and we just take it, and we just toss it out, and we become autonomous. Is that the design of the Bible? Some aren't sure. It is not the design of the Bible. It, they ha, overseers are there for a reason, to identify needs. So this is what happens often, and I'm talking about us right here. People will come to me, they'll come to one of the other elders, and they say, "I just there's this need, and I want our church to fill it. And they know like 1% of the situation. And they're all lit up and they're all excited. And it's my job to pop their bubble and say, I'm really glad that God's put a desire in you to help, but you're headed in the wrong direction. And I try not to disclose too much, right? Because oftentimes we, you just don't know what's going on, right? You just don't know the situation, I see the Lord using Paul, using Timothy, Titus, all elders, all pastors to make sure that this is a legitimate need that it gets filled. They know the true situation. They're not being duped by anybody who's being manipulative or there's not no misunderstandings here. So many, many times people from within the church come and they see a perceived need that they want filled, but they haven't heard the whole story. And I, I've told a lot of people, it seems like it's, it's constant. You can give to that person, but it's not what you think it is. There are a lot of violin players in the church. I wish they really played the violin. I've been asking the Lord for one of those. By violin, I mean just like, it's like the constant like sympathy that goes on. And they play their violins very well in front of certain people. They're, they're not dumb, right? Um, because they're, they're trying to prompt the Holy Spirit to convict them to give to them. And then sometimes it happens, and you know what? It's just pure manipulation. It's not a work of the Spirit at all. It's just somebody getting worked over. So consider allowing somebody to say, This is, this is what I'm thinking about. Am I hearing a true tune? Or is this just a tune of, of self pity or manipulation? Let that identification take place. Don't let it make you stingy. Don't let it make you grudging. I see here that God put in a check and balance system. Some of you are fans of American government, no? If it was practiced the way that it should be, and you say, what happened to our checks and balances? Why is is this branch of government out of control and they're doing a job that's not theirs and why won't the legislative check the executive and why won't the judicial? It's like, but right in the Bible here, God invented this, checks and balances, so that we can be wise and prudent. The answer is, Actually, they've just borrowed, borrowed, and borrowed themselves into that crisis. If you want to bail them out, I just don't want you to do so ignorantly. A couple years ago, we were approached, I was approached about helping another church because they were on the verge of, of closing their doors. They were in financial hardship. And it was, it was a Calvary Chapel church. Which, which right away, I knew that was weird. And, you know, they're, they're just right, you know, they might have to just, they might lose the lease on their building, and it's just, it's, you know, we could step in and help them and get them through this. But thankfully, I knew that they had taken out a whole bunch of COVID relief loans. They had embraced a godless agenda in many other ways. That they had done lots of stuff that was was not according to, prudent leadership. And I didn't say it out loud. I denied it, but I just said, let it crumble, right? All this GoFundMe garbage where people can make themselves out to be the hero. I'm asking for money for my friend. And then the next year, they're asking money for me. It's just, just be wise to it, okay? Listen to God's word, the checks and balances system that he's got in place here. So these saints in Jerusalem were a legitimate cause. There was a lot of pressure to follow the Pharisees instead of follow Jesus. They were being persecuted, the famine. Jerusalem had been generous to itself, and now it was a legitimate need. This is the biblically organized, spirit-led body of Christ being mobilized to meet a real need. I look in the Word of God. It's what it says. They took their offerings and they laid them at the apostles' feet. Does it not say that? It does. Has the church changed? We need wise leaders. We need willing hearts. We need the generosity of the Lord. How will we identify needs? How will we identify needs? Another question. Are we addressing the church's needs? I want you to also see that in chapter 8 and chapter 9, it is Christians giving to Christians, right? Corinthian Christians giving to Jerusalem Christians. Now, this does not mean that we should fail to give to the unbelieving. I'm not saying that. Just like I'm not saying that you shouldn't be prompted by the Spirit to do something individually. But I want you to see here that this is the church giving to the church. These are Christians holding up their fellow brothers and sisters. I'm reminded of what it says in Galatians. understand it. I think I know what the Lord is saying. You know what it says in Galatians 6.10? Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So it says, be a giver and give to everyone. But is there a priority? Yes. Your brothers and sisters, fellow Christians, the body of Christ at large. Yes, where you fellowship, but our brothers and sisters are to be a priority to us in giving. Now we're not saying that we're not going to give to the unbelieving, but look, the scriptures say this, he who cannot provide for his own is worse than an infidel, worse than an unbeliever. So there's a pattern here in the word of God that says, take care of your family. Doesn't it say that? Take care of the church. Why is it that way? I think of what it says in the scriptures, that if a man can't manage his own house, how can he manage the house of God? That's just one of those great questions, right? Like, his kids are idiots. How can he possibly ever manage a larger group of people? He flunked the test, right? So financially, provide for your own in your house, and in your church. Why does the Bible do it that way? Why does God say this is true? Well, because a strong family can then minister to the church, and a strong church can then minister to the world, right? It's a matter of that strengthening and that brotherhood bringing us together. There are certain cults who take care of their own. They call themselves Christians, and it's interesting to me how they can't wait to be called Christians. And we're like, well, you know, maybe a different name. You know, I'm a believer or something. They can't wait to be called Christians, really. But there are certain cults, and believe me, they take care of their own. They're needy, don't go unprovided for. They offer money first, they offer food, they offer health care, they offer jobs, scholarships, opportunities so they can someday be those who in turn help others. It's almost as if they're operating on this principle better than the body of Christ. Now, I realize that it's a legalistic system. It's not based on grace. But sometimes I look, it on, look on at the so-called evangelism of cults and I'm a little bit jealous. How ardently they go after those who they think don't know the truth or how well they'll take care of the people in their so-called fellowship. I'm like, wow, look at that. Cultish care. And all the while, the body of Christ in America flounders. How much of that is because, because we're, we don't prioritize correctly, right? So take care of the body of Christ. If it's a brother, it's a sister in the Lord, it's important. It's a priority. A last question for us to consider are we operating anonymously when possible? Do you see how one church gave to another and it wasn't like an individual got identified or exalted at all? This this need was sent. This need was met. But it wasn't as though it lifted up any one person. It wasn't like Jennifer the Generous sent the money or Phyllis the Philanthropist. And here she comes. Why doesn't the Bible do it that way? Well, because the glory is more apt to go to God if it's God's people in general just saying, here it is. It's because of the Lord. It's because of his love for us, right? One church blessing another. Are we anonymous when we can be? Jesus spoke about this, Matthew 6, 3. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So there's, it's not always true that we can be secretive. I think about this. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians in his first epistle to them in the 16th chapter, he said, Take the offering all ahead of time and let there be no offerings when I come. The the money is from your church. I don't want anybody running up to me at the last minute and say, here's my 10 grand to put in, Pastor Paul, right? He just said, no, I don't want the offer. I want this as much as possible to be anonymous. It's from the people of God for the glory of God. And that's the way. Now, sometimes we, we give, financially, so that there can be a certain good or a certain service provided. And sometimes it's just really worth it to pay instead of do-it-yourself. The American church is like the ultimate do-it-yourself place. I've been on a couple short-term mission trips, which I'm not a huge fan of as a way of life. Like some people just short-term mission after short-term mission, you start to think it's just vacation or it's just, But one of the first ones that I went on was a youth short-term missions trip, and it was a youth construction short-term mission trip. It was the most pathetic display of craftsmanship I have ever seen to bring a bunch of teenagers to another country to do construction work. They don't do construction at home. They have no clue what they're doing. They don't know the difference between a, a square and a level. They can't use the saw, but there's this good feeling of, let's go down and build. The body of Christ would have been way better off to just hire three guys that knew what they were doing and send them, right? They would have got more done. So sometimes when we give, there's just a practicality to it where it's like, wait a second, I'm offering something and I really stink at it. Like it's, it's not like I'm even good. Think about that. Let me relate this to the next trip that I went on, the next one that I went on, it was also young people, but we were organized and we put on a vacation Bible school. There were musicians, there were teachers, there were people that were trained to help the kids memorize verses. We were way better at that than pouring concrete and framing walls, right? It was in our wheelhouse. A lot of us did that. It was a part of our gifting. So when we gave, it was in the context of this is something that, that really, really is a help to the body of Christ, right? It makes sense. So we got to separate that giving as we come and say sometimes it's just better to, to give the money. Go to your job, work for an hour, and give that money instead of you coming to help. The worst is relating it to the music ministry, What if, and this is a real life situation, somebody is just, they are sincere. They love God with all being a singer or a musician, and they cannot wait to share their gift with you. What's your question? Can you sing? Can you play? Are you any good, right, is the question. Because look at the body of Christ. It's, we don't all have the same gift, Right? And so there can be all this sincerity and all this willingness. And we would say, the Lord is probably enjoying this. I, uh, I, he is a God of wonder. He can see beauty in things that aren't very beautiful. But sometimes it's really better to let the church operate as a body and let people who are good at what they do do that, and let those of us who are not good at those things not do that, right? So if you just got your first tool belt for Father's Day this year, just tell me. You're not going to work on the addition. It's just just try it on in the mirror, but that's okay. We don't really need your help right now, <laughs> right? So this giving, I say it because when we actually do the work with our hands, there is a willingness there that, that is good in a way, but sometimes it's not even that anonymous. It's like, "Here I am. I, I, I'm here to help. It's not done anonymously, or instead of just hiring somebody to say, "Just go. You take care of it. You're the expert. Operating, this is the glory of God, not just, "I get to do some good deeds." We live in good old boy country. That, that is the nature of the foothills. Um, people will help one another, and sometimes it has nothing to do with Jesus. And I want a clear line that says, I would not do this if it were not for Christ. This is because of him. And communicate that. If you give anything, if the body gives it, this is only because of the Lord. It's not because I'm a kind-hearted person. Believe me. It's because the Lord, God Almighty, is generous through his people. That's powerful. Instead of, I want a couple more notches on my belt because I, I helped somebody down the street. That's a whole different, different way of, of thinking. The church blessing one another. Now, this really gets to the heart of the motive, and most of it will be saved for Sunday, where it says, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully, middle of verse 6, will also reap bountifully. It makes sense, right? You didn't plant much. Therefore, you didn't harvest very much. Speaking of giving and receiving. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. There it is again, a matter of our hearts. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we get insight into the heart of God. He's looking right into me and you, And he wants servants that can't wait to give. After all these years, I haven't changed my vocabulary enough. Instead, it's like, I need to teach Thursday night. No, it's, I get to teach Thursday night. Why can't I get that through my head? Oh, I need to lead worship next Sunday. No, I get to lead worship next Sunday. I need to clean the church. I get to clean the church Saturday. Sorry. What is it? that illustrates something, right? And sometimes we're trying to communicate, oh, you know, I have something else to do. No, I get to serve God, and that's better than anything else that I get to do, right? Not grudgingly or out of necessity. Not I need to, there it is right there in the middle of verse seven, but I get to. I am privileged because God loves it when I give to him cheerfully. When I can't wait when I have this anticipation in my heart for what I'm to give, even though it's, it's pretty meager. And God who is able to make all grace abound toward you. That means God can give you anything that you always have all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. God gives back to us. And hopefully I can explain this in a way that's not us, saying, well, I'm going to give to the Lord so that he'll give back to me, so that I'll be bountiful, so that I'll have an abundance, right? Remember, the Lord sees our hearts. Why are we doing this cheerfully, giving, no strings attached? God, make that us serving for a feeling, for a sense of doing what we should, but serving out of gladness, giving out of gladness, opening up our, our hands, our hearts, even our bank accounts lord for for your glory alone i praise your name for telling us the truth about who you are that you look right into us because we can think that we're crafty and that we're just doing everything that we should and i thank you lord that you come in by your spirit and say how's your heart are you cheerful are you glad are you expectant about giving or is this just something that you're doing because you're obligated lord we know what it's the difference when we receive from from somebody that is so excited they're they're more excited to give the gift than they are than we are to receive it and let us be like that lord excited fervent cheerful givers jesus in your name we pray Amen.